Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Glad to have you join us again this week, and we are always uh, grateful for those that support this ministry. Our Founders Alliance members, Founders Alliance churches, enable us to produce content like that, and so a special thank you to those if you're interested in becoming a supporter of Founders so that we can continue to produce these kinds of podcasts and resources, books, other things. Uh, just go to founders.org and you can check out the way that you can be uh, a supporter and a partner with us in this ministry. Well, we're glad to be able to get together today to talk about uh, Southern Baptist life a little bit. And again, uh, our church is a Southern Baptist church, but uh, we think we're the kind of Southern Baptist church, church that all Southern Baptist churches should be, which recognizes that that is not our uh, exclusive or main identity. I mean, mm-hmm. We're a church of Jesus Christ. We want to honor Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, we partner with others in this convention of churches, but we partner with churches that are outside the convention too. And we think that that's a healthy kind of way to uh, do church life here in Southwest Florida. Over the last several weeks, um, as it was announced that I would be nominated to uh, consider the responsibilities of president of the SBC in the Anaheim Convention in June, I've been thinking through some of the structural challenges that we have in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's been interesting, Graham. I've gotten this question, you know, man, if you become president, what are you going to do? Well, the president of the SBC can't really do a lot mm-hmm. officially. It's a very limited type of responsibility. You get to appoint the uh, members of two committees, one of which is, is just a quick committee to appoint a committee on nominations, and then you get to commit uh, appoint the committee on, on uh, resolutions for the next year, and then you get to moderate the meeting. And that's officially uh, the only thing that you can do structurally. Well, maybe you could pull a Woodrow Wilson and just form a bunch of administrative agencies that could just run the whole convention for us. <laughs> yeah, we could have czars. We could come up with our own list of, of uh, SBC czars. But no, there are things, however, I believe Southern Baptists would do well to consider, to think through structurally. And the way I've kind of framed my own thinking about this is we need spiritual reformation, and then we need structural renovation. And we've mm-hmm. talked about spiritual reformation in the past, and it, it really flows out of what we try to do here at Grace Baptist Church, and just what are the spiritual things that we ought to be tending to as we shepherd the flock of God over which he's made us overseers. And the Convention of Churches and the broader evangelical world is is not a local congregation, but the same principles apply in terms of what's important for me as a Christian, mm-hmm. what's important for us as a church, well, then what would be a important for an association of churches. But the SBC has some unique challenges because of the structure of our organization. One thing I I like reminding both Southern Baptists and those that are not Southern Baptists to consider is the fact that every Southern Baptist church is an independent church. Mm -hmm. There is no ecclesiastical authority over us. Our participation is voluntary, and we participate when and as we can. We are in friendly cooperation with other churches in the SBC, but that does not mean that what happens in Nashville or that Nashville gets to dictate what happens here at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral. You're making all the Presbyterians shudder. That's right. Well, and good. <laughs> shudder they should because you know we read the same Bible, and I'm willing to have those conversations with our Presbyterian friends. But it's it's just a, a fact. I mean, we have a local association that we participate with. We have the State Convention of Southern Baptist Churches. But none of those structures are over the local church. We're fond of saying in the SBC that the local church is headquarters. Mm. And as such, 
the rest of the SBC needs to start listening more carefully <laughs> yeah. to headquarters because, you know, Houston, we've got some problems and we want to address those problems. So we thought it'd be good to have a podcast about that today. Yeah. And the Southern Baptist Convention is, in one sense, it's a very simple system, but in another sense, it's uh, very complex and difficult to navigate. And for people who are kind of looking in from the outside, or even people who are Southern Baptists who aren't familiar with kind of the, the polity and what happens within the convention, it might be helpful to kind of describe some, some of the inner workings of the way in which the convention operates. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, because uh, here, here it is. Local churches determine that they will voluntarily cooperate with other local churches under this uh, connection, or not, not really connection, but this associational principle known as the Southern Baptist Convention. And so the way we do things structurally as a convention of churches uh, has to function politically. I mean, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. There has to be these, these uh, mechanical operations for churches to get things done together. And, and we do cooperate because there are things we can do better together than we could do alone. And mm-hmm. praise God for that. We see the International Mission Board. Uh, some of the church planning efforts we've had over history have been wonderful. Theological training, we've done that uh, cooperatively better than you could probably do by, or most churches could do, uh, individually. And so there's there's good reasons to cooperate. But here's the way it's structured. Every year there's an annual convention, and at that annual convention, the messengers sent by the churches, which every church is allowed to have two. If you're a Southern Baptist church, you can have two messengers. At you can least. Have, yeah. You can have, everybody has two. You can have up to 12, depending upon a formula of giving that you can read about at sbc.net. But no church gets more than 12. No church has less than two. Those messengers can gather, and they then make decisions. And the most significant decision that they will make, typically, is the electing of a president. And that president, then, has very limited authority, but he does have authority to appoint the Committee on Committees. That's one of his specific tasks that he's given. very Baptist. Yeah, very Baptist. (laughs) Committee on Committees. That Committee on Committee only functions for a few weeks out of the year, and they are responsible for appointing the Committee on Nominations. And that Committee on Nominations then has the responsibility of looking at the vacancies that come up in any given year of the trustees and boards of all of our entities and agencies. And those trustees serve on a rotating basis. And so there's always going to be vacancies any given year. And then, of course, you know, people sadly die or they move and are no longer qualified to represent the uh, constituency for which they are appointed to various boards. And so there's a, a various numbers of vacancies from year to year. But that committee on nominations will find people that fit the specific qualifications and make recommendations to the next year's convention to elect them as trustees to those agencies and institutions. Typically, the convention will accept all of those nominations, though they don't have to. Mm -hmm. And there have been challenges to individual nominees uh, in many different years. That's happened. We saw that last year, didn't we? We did see that last year, sadly, because a man who was uh, eligible for a second term was not given a second term. uh, And uh, other things like that happened, which, you know, I I was uh, sad to see. But nevertheless, that's the will of the messengers that can do that. So when the messengers gather to elect a president, you know, you want to elect a president who's going to name a committee on committees that is going to name a committee on nominations that has the same kind of concerns that you see in the association of churches known as the Southern Baptist Convention, having those concerns addressed in a proper way. And so 
thinking about that, I mean, before even you know people persuaded me to uh, consider being nominated for the presidency, there were several things in my mind. I've written about them, talked about this a lot, so it won't be a shock to anybody that's found uh, followed founders or followed me. But one of the structural things that I think we need to renovate uh, has to do with the trustee system. Mm-hmm. The trustee system is a good system. The way it functions right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, I think, uh, uh, exposes a lot of difficulties that need to be addressed. And, and I've gotten this from personal experience. I've also gotten it from listening to other people. I've talked to a lot of trustees mm-hmm. of our institutions and entities over the last several years. And um, not universally, but almost without exception. The exceptions are very few. The way that those trustees have responded to me has either been on a pro forma basis, like they just are cut and pasting what they have been told to say to anybody who has a question that go, is going on with the institution or, ag- or the agency, or to be completely dismissed. And like, well, you know, hey, that's just the way that it is. And what's dawned on me over the years is that I, I think in many respects our trustees have come to uh, misunderstand their role because the trustees are elected by the messengers of the churches Mm -hmm. to hold the entities, the agencies and institutions in trust for those churches. Yeah. And yet so many times you look at the way the trustees function and how they respond to pastors like me and others that write them letters. And again, I've got letters from other churches that have been sent to trustees. I've seen the responses have been sent to me too by those churches And it's almost like they are an unpaid public relations department Hmm. for the institution and agency. And that's not right. I mean, obviously, they want the best for the institution and agency, but their job is to hold them in trust for the churches. So with that, I think we need a renovation of our trustee system, which would at least, in the very minimal sense, involve a new way of training trustees. Mm -hmm. Right now, as I understand it, when you're appointed a trustee of an institution or an agency, you go to that institution or agency for orientation, and they orient you yeah. on the work. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the fox guarding the hen house, yeah. you know, in, in that sense. So we need to we need to look at the trustee system. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you have these trustees. They do want to serve the entity that they are over, that they're overseeing, um, but they are put there by the convention they were accountable to the convention of messengers um and it's it's almost like you know you get somebody ahead of a specific entity you get ahead in there and they're there for a while and they have a certain way that they want to do things and so they do that and they develop the trustee training system for their trustees that are coming in and so these trustees should have oversight over this head of the entity mm-hmm. but what really happens is you invert that relationship Absolutely. where where on paper certainly yeah the trustees are over the head of the entity but what is actually happening is the head tells tells the trustees what he, what he wants done in within his his entity. And yeah, so often people have not been elected as trustees of an entity without the entity head yeah. approving them. Yeah. which is just crazy. And, and I, so the trustees just become a rubber stamp for whatever right. the the head or the president or whatever the entity wants done. Yeah. And uh, it, it can happen, has happened where an entity head would say, you know, that's the basis of firing a trustee. <laughs> It's crazy. So but whenever that, that mentality exposes, we need to back up and look at how we do this again. And then along with that, how many trustees does an institution need? I think there's various numbers for the various entities and institutions that we have, but we probably have more than we need mm-hmm. to get things done. And then you know, how much is it costing 
to have trustees at these entities because they have board meetings and some of them have board meetings a couple of times a year or maybe four times a year. And there's expense that goes into those board meetings. So would it be better maybe to have uh, a board maybe one, once a year or twice a year, have longer days invested in what uh, they are trying to attain uh, during that time? So I just, man, I think Southern Baptist would do well to say, let's study our trustee system and see if we're getting the most bang for the buck, if we could do this better. And my guess is it wouldn't take long to see, yes, yeah. we could do this much better. Well, another uh, concern that I have is uh, how Southern Baptist institutions and entities send people to the annual meeting mm-hmm. on the cooperative program dime. Mm-hmm. So here's the setup. You have an institution that may have uh, 50 people there at the cooperative program representing the institution in some capacity. And those 50 people, um, very often, maybe not exclusively or all the time, but they're messengers from their churches. So they go as messengers from their churches, and yet they are on the payroll of the institutions, and they vote then on things, and they're, they're not going to vote on things that they perceive to be uh, questioning or negative toward yeah. their institutions. And if churches have concerns with the institutions and want things addressed, now they've got this force of people who they pay for, through gifts that support the institution, they're as messengers voting against them or not being sensitive to the concerns of the churches. Mm. And we've seen that time and again over the last several years, the way that the platform speaks down to, derisively, to the messengers from the churches. Yeah, It's really shameful in my estimation. So I think that we ought to uh, look at this and say, okay, you know, should, uh, should an entity be able to send its employees to the convention on the cooperative program dime where they serve as messengers, you need to have them there to represent the institution. Just don't let them be messengers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's exceptions. You know, the, you need maybe give each institution five uh, that can go as messengers from yeah. their churches, but, <laughs> but, but not hundreds. Or yeah, not that's, that's, a, that's fewer than a thousand. Yeah, that is fewer. <laughs> you know, and again, uh, the Washington Post last year after the Nashville Convention wrote that the North American Mission Board actually paid and sent funded uh, church planters from our urban centers to come in to vote for Ed Litton as president. Now, the Washington Post wrote that. And I know, I, you know, the there's been folks in the North American Mission Board, so that's not true. They said that to me specifically when I publicized. All I did was say, here's what the Washington Post said. And they said, that's not true. I said, well, great. Call the reporter and tell him that he has written a lie and call upon him to renounce it. Disavow this article from the Washington Post. That was never done, at least to my knowledge. It wasn't done. Because it gives room to falsify that claim. That's right. And I checked with the reporters. Hey, has anybody called you and told you that what you said wasn't true? No. you know. So, uh, again, maybe it's not true. If if so, it's pretty easy to stand up and say, you know what, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But I've also had it told to me from others as well. And it's just, it's unseemly. It's not right. And so I think that's a pretty simple fix. Yeah. Let's just uh, say, okay, you know what? Every entity, every agency can have employees sent on employee money or from the institution money that's given by the churches as messengers. You can only have a handful. And well, I think what this is doing, so both of these issues, uh, this trustee training issue and the entities paying for their employees to go to the convention, both these issues are uh, highlighting the, the main problem within the convention right now, 
least structural problem within the convention that I see, is that churches are not controlling the convention or the direction of the convention as it's meant to be. Right. Rather, entities are doing this. Yeah, that's right. The, the seminaries, the, the mission boards, the all these different entities – there's a lot of money that goes through the cooperative mm-hmm. program. There's a lot of money that's diver- dispersed from the SBC to these different entities. And so what happens at the convention two days a year, all these different entities, they have an interest in what happens because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of money. And so why wouldn't you get as many of your people as you can there to protect your interests there, even from the floor or from the platform? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how could how could local churches have any opportunity or any chance to actually do their job in controlling what happens in the convention if all the entities are able to send as many as many people as they can with the money that the local churches have given them right they should be taking the, the those monies and be doing what the local churches have commissioned them to do rather than protecting their interests at the convention absolutely and i tell you where we've seen this more than anywhere else at least from my vantage point is with the north american mission board which gets the largest amount of money that is kept in the united states uh, of anything that southern baptists support I mean, the international mission board gets 50% but that's spent overseas largely. They have a very mm-hmm. uh, bare-bones budget for their, their United States offices and training and all that they do. But the North American Mission Board is all kept right here, and so they're kind of uh, like the 800-pound gorilla, you know, that is in the room. And uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you just look at the facts. When uh, last year Ed Litton was uh, nominated to be president, well, his wife works for the North American Mission Board. He was a trustee mm. of the North American Mission Board, I think. And then uh, this year, Willie Rice, who's vice president of the trustees of the North American Mission Board, was nominated. Now, he's dropped out. But you just think, you know, I don't think the North American Mission Board should have that kind yeah. of influence in what goes on in Southern Baptist political life. And yep. yet it seems like they do. And again, if we could just address this structural issue, we could diminish some of that and put authority and impact back in the hands of the local churches where it belongs. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, uh, it is not the North American mission board. It's the Southern Baptist convention. That's the right. Convention of churches. That's churches. right. I tell you another thing that I think needs structural uh, attention is the credentials committee. You know, the credentials committee was given mm-hmm. the task a few years ago to address uh, other issues besides what it had been addressing, uh, sex abuse, uh, churches that were guilty of covering up sex abuse or uh, sexual sin in their midst. Uh, racism is another one that was added in recent years, uh, together with you know, our churches in friendly cooperation. And so if a, a petition is filed to the credentials committee, then uh, theoretically they are to look at that, they are to do an investigation, they are to make a judgment. Well, man, I've... I've filed several with the Credentials Committee on things that I thought were churches came out publicly advocating Mm -hmm. positions that are contrary to who Southern Baptists are. Mm -hmm. I've never heard from the Credentials Committee from any of those efforts that I've sent in, so I don't know how they dispose of that. I've talked to people that are on or have been on that, and they've told me some of the inner workings, and quite honestly, it hasn't been encouraging to hear the way some of those uh, deliberations have gone. So I think we need to strengthen the Credentials Committee. I'm not, I don't have a clear proposal as to how, but if we're giving them a responsibility, we ought to give Mm -hmm. them the tools to fulfill that responsibility and to do it in a way that is respectful of and responsive to the churches to whom they're accountable. Again, comes right back down to local churches who own the entities and institutions of the SBC. And so the Credentials Committee is important. I think it's a right 
thing for us to have, but it needs to be looked at to see, is this being effective or is this just kind of a paper tiger yeah. that's up there really not well, doing anything? The temptation, I think, is you know, don't stir the pot. Don't disfellowship churches. Why? Because for every church that we have in the convention, there's more funds coming into the convention, mm-hmm. more funds dispersed from the cooperative program to the entities. Mm-hmm. And again, what a temptation. And I'm not accusing any of the entities or any of the entity heads of doing this, but there is a temptation and there's room for corruption there that the entities who functionally have so much power, as we've already discussed in the convention, for them to get involved with the credentials committee and say, no, no, we're not going to disfellowship Saddleback Church for having female right. pastors because that's a massive church. And right. think of the funds they pour into the co- cooperative program. Yeah. Yeah. Or we don't want to be guilty of, you know, looking bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the world or broader evangelical world uh, for actually saying we have borders and Mm -hmm. you've crossed the borders and so you're no longer a part of us. So that that whole issue needs to be examined. It's probably not just a credentials committee issue, but we have that committee and they need to be given the ability to fulfill the responsibilities that have been given to them. I tell you another thing I I believe that we've got to address, and we'll probably be forced to do this if we don't uh, act on it quickly, and that is to study and consider very specifically and to state in plain language what the qualifications for pastors are Mm -hmm. in churches that are going to be in friendly cooperation of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, we we have it right now uh, in the Baptist faith and message that – pastor is limited to the role of qualified men, mm-hmm. but we've seen how people have taken that phrase and turned it into a wax nose to say, yeah. oh yeah, we believe that, though we got women assistant pastors or associate pastors, but they're not lead pastors, they're just preaching pastors, they're this. Yeah. And it's, it's just unfortunate, and so we've attempted in recent years to address that by, by saying that it's not just the office, but it's also the function of the pastor to be limited to qualified men. Um, that failed. It didn't make it out to the convention to actually debate. So somehow we need to look at that. But in addition to that, and what right on the wings of that, is the whole LGBTQ plus movement. You know, not just the radical feminism movement, but transgenderism. Um, we need to make sure we're clear because we see on the edges of the evangelical world things like Revoice, other movements of evangelical churches advocating things where they say, you know, we're friendly, uh, gender pronoun, all these types of things. God whispers about sexual sin. Mm-hmm. We need to be clear yeah. what the Bible says, and uh, that needs to be studied, I believe, by Southern Baptists. Yeah, I, I think that uh, when you see our former fearless leader, Russell Moore, on a stage with a philosopher who says that, you know, the people of God have been cruel and mean to his gay children, his LGBTQ children. And I don't, I, Russell Moore didn't say that, but he's on the same stage and he's not correcting the mm-hmm. man, you know. Um, if if one of our entity heads uh, can be there in that position, I mean, think of the the problems that we have throughout the rest of the convention and the way in which our leaders have just kind of been silent and yeah. not wanted to speak up on these issues. Yeah, and I don't think we can afford to do that any longer. Uh, again, the culture is growing darker all around us, and it's a great time for us to shine as light, but we can't do that if we keep silent mm-hmm. and we're not clear, we're not plain spoken about what the Bible plainly declares, and we mm-hmm. can't be embarrassed about it. So I, I think that if we're going to be uh, salt and light, if we're going to honor Christ in this day, we're going to have to examine those issues and say, okay, how do we articulate the borders related to these issues, maintaining biblical fidelity 
as a, a cooperating association of churches. And, and that, that'll take some time, but it, it merits serious prayerful attention. Mm-hmm. One other issue that I thought about structurally is the role of missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries. And praise God for those that have been spread throughout the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest missionary sending agency in the world uh, among uh, Christians or Protestants, evangelicals. We praise the Lord for that. But what about those missionaries that are serving on the field? They, they come home about every four years or so, and they have stateside assignments, those that are on stateside assignments, and some that are overseas that come back for the annual meeting. They get to be at the annual meeting. But if you've been a faithful missionary sent out by a Southern Baptist church to someplace overseas and you're planting a church and you join that church plant or you join a local church that's planting the church. As you should. As you well should. That's exactly Baptist ecclesiology 101. Then you're no longer technically Southern Baptist because the church that sent you from the Southern Baptist Convention is no longer your your. A church. Mm-hmm. You don't have a membership there. Some get around this by having associate memberships or something else, but you know, yeah. even that's a little fuzzy in terms of Baptist ecclesiology where yeah. we've had a high view of membership. So I think that we ought to just go on record and say, let's study this. How can we uh, guarantee that if Southern Baptist missionaries sent by Southern Baptist churches want to be involved in Southern Baptist life back in the States, that they have opportunity yeah. to be involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, that might look any number of different ways, but it needs to be studied, and I would recommend, yeah, we've got to do something about that. Yeah, because the the main reason why we uh, come together as an association of churches is for the sake of global missions. Mm-hmm. And so it seems silly that our yeah. missionaries that we send out around the globe would not have any sort of um, say in what happens at the annual convention. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, I'm sure there are others, but uh, these are the things that have kind of been running through my head over mm-hmm. the last couple of months, and uh, we are coming up on Anaheim in just a few weeks. I encourage those of you who are Southern Baptists to have messengers from your church go and uh, take an interest in what's taking place. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention matters, and what happens in the SBC impacts the broader evangelical world in the United States and from the United States throughout the nations. So I pray for the Southern Baptist Convention and the churches, and if uh, you're part of one, then uh, seek the Lord's will and and encourage others to try to make it a better association of churches than it is now so that we can serve faithfully in the generations to come.